You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. For episode 528 of this podcast, today is January 2nd, 2023, and this is the first episode of season five of this podcast. I don't know what we'll get into in season five before it's all said and done. I will say that last year we got through 237 episodes covering a wide range of topics, I'm sure. We will also have a wide range of topics this coming year. But to start us off, I'm going to pick up with some current events items. And then I want to read through for you and talk through and think through Lamentations Chapter 3. But before we get into Lamentations 3, which has been on my mind here as we were coming up on the end of 2022, coming up on the beginning of 2023, a certain gentleman from Alaska, Representative David Eastman is on my mind after having been discussing with my neighbor two houses down some people who have attended uh, our church here in Greeley Evans, our local church, Summit View Community Church. And this David Eastman, he's one, right? Him and his family, apparently years ago, used to attend Summit View Community Church He was originally from Alaska, and he was here, and when he was here, he attended Summit View, and then at a certain point, uh, his family moved back to Alaska with him. Of course, he moved his family back to Alaska, and then he ended up running for uh, the state Congress there in that state, and he has served for uh, three terms. It appears from reporting by Joseph M. Hanneman at the Epoch Times, reporting from December 13th, 2022, but he's being sued and there's an attempt being made to remove him from office despite the fact that he won the most recent election, re-election campaign, by 24 points over and against his Democratic uh, opponent. He won by 24 points. He has served three terms. He's got a wife, three daughters, and a son, it looks like. And he is a Republican. But the problem, supposedly, allegedly, is that he uh, also joined the Oath Keepers organization some baker's dozen years ago. And the allegation is that because he joined the Oath Keepers and, oh, by the way, also was in attendance in Washington, D.C. for Donald Trump's speech, January 6th, 2021, right before uh, the day that will live in infamy, worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than 9-11, combined uh, the so-called riot or attack on the Capitol or Reichstag moment for Democrats, if you will. Uh, He was there, right? He was there and that alone should disqualify him. How dare he go and listen to a speech, I guess, from, you know, 
uh, f- former President Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is a bad orange man and was a Republican and the Democrats hate him so much, even just going to his speech, that, that oh man, that disqualifies someone. Nobody who listens to Donald Trump should be allowed to hold office. And nobody who was there in Washington, D.C., which I, apparently uh, I would I would assume would include both Democrats and Republicans. If you were in Washington, D.C., you should not be allowed to hold office. You know, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> let's let's make a deal. Anybody who was in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, 2021, I, I agree, should not be allowed to hold office. If we can make that consistent across the board, everybody who was in the Senate and the House of Representatives and uh, and all the rest, uh, if if all of them just have to resign and be replaced with fresh faces, then uh, you know what? I, I think, uh, David Eastman, you should just take one for the team because it would be worth it if we just shook the etch-a-sketch of who all is in our government. Uh, but of course, that's not how it, that's not how it works. It wasn't just that he was in Washington, D.C. It was that he was at Donald Trump's speech. He was listening to it and uh, agreed with the premise of the uh, assembled protest, uh, you know, the, the assembled uh, Stop the Steal event that was being held in Washington, D.C. that day. What's being claimed and will be tried, uh, is being tried in a court of law, is whether that means that he is um, disloyal. This is a conflict of interest that he joined the Oath Keepers 13 years ago, that he attended the Stop the Steal rally, <clears throat> not riot, rally, uh, which then was used, uh, I think, in a kind of mousetrap sort of a way, in a kind of set-up ambush, uh, deer-blind sort of a way by Democrats to make it look like they have a just cause to go after their political opponents writ large, to target their political opponents writ large, get everybody gathered together in one place, then invite them in, have instigators uh, scattered throughout uh, doing violence, vandalizing, potentially planting uh, pipe bombs and such like that, clashing with law enforcement, uh, leave the doors unlocked. In fact, you know, wave uh, Americans in to the Capitol building, then photograph them, let them you know mill about, hope that they steal things, break things, cause trouble, you know, threaten violence, do all that, and then at, at a certain point, shut it down and use selective photography and videography and uh, a manipulated narrative to say, aha, see, this is what we were going against, going after Donald Trump for the whole time. This is what we were silencing and censoring these Americans uh, about the whole time. See, they're just, they're, they're lawless people. We cannot share government, cannot share power with these you know, crazies, these yahoos, these ignorant rubes. Uh, you know, it, it, the fact that David Eastman was a, uh, oath keeper and also went to the stop the steal rally in Washington, DC, January 6th, 2021, uh, just about we're, we're in the same week of the two year anniversary of that day. The fact that he was there, uh, in my mind, in no way disqualifies him for holding uh, elected office. 
that you need to establish far more than just, did he join an organization 13 years ago that is about upholding the Constitution, right? And and also, might I just add, <clears throat> one of the things that has been pointed out as I read through this uh, article by Joseph Hanneman at the Epoch Times is that the Oath Keepers expressly uh, exclude people for membership who want to join the Oath Keepers if they are for the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. And you know, I, I think hearkening back to the, depending on what you want to call it, American Revolution, War for Independence, there is a disagreement as to what to call that conflict that led to the formation of the United States of America out of 13 colonies, British colonies, breaking away from declaring uh, null and void the authority over them and their family and their posterity and their property. Uh, King George, uh, you know, it, it, he wasn't recognized as a legitimate authority anymore. Far away, having usurped uh, his proper role and neglected his proper role by turn, they were actually, according to men like Edmund Burke, British philosopher, statesman, uh, you know, commentator, according to Edmund Burke at the time, this was not a revolution. This was a war for independence. This was actually a more conservative uh, approach to resolving a longstanding and increasingly volatile conflict that already existed. It was just bringing the conflict out into the open. And actually, I think you could argue that the colonists, during the uh, you know founding of the United States, the colonists were regarded much the same way that flyover country America is now regarded. That is, they were marginalized, they were uh, trampled on, they were disenfranchised, they were mocked, they were looked down on, and they were not being given... Uh, representation, effectively, from procedural and bureaucratic means, uh, they were being silenced, excluded from the process of uh, governing themselves, or even seeking a redress of wrongs from their government. They were not getting the full protection of their government to secure their rights, to protect their interests from enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, also, too, they weren't being allowed, according to the British uh, uh, constitution form of government, however you want to call it, uh, Magna Carta, uh, they were not being allowed to participate fully, but on paper, it was being made to look like, oh yes, yeah, they're they're full participants in their own government. Well, so also here, I mean, if, if you have a Alaska state rep in David Eastman, who has served multiple terms, won by 24 points, against his uh, Democrat opponent, and he's being driven from office from a procedural standpoint, potentially, because he had the wrong politics, because he, you know, to my way of thinking, he represents the ethos of flyover country America, and they can't have that. They don't like that. They don't want to tolerate that in any quarter, even at the local level, even at the state level, in a conservative state like Alaska. This is of a piece. The Democrats... And the Washington, D.C. establishment of both parties, which actually, they don't need a political party, but they use political parties to make it look like uh, good cop, bad cop, 
depending on which side of an issue you're on, the other side looks like the bad cop. And whichever political party they're playing <laughs> looks like the good cop to you. <laughs> uh, you know, both alike, the Democratic Party in particular, but then the establishment of both parties in D.C., they are playing the part of the arrogant British aristocrats uh, in the home country who, in their own parliament, they sought to protect their own interests from a distance if they owned land or they had titles or they had claims to certain revenues in the colonies. That was their chief concern. That was their only concern. How do I get and expand my own wealth and power? And these colonials, uh, they regarded as indentured servants and uh, in, in some sense, a little better than slaves, certainly second-class citizens. If the Democrats and the establishment of both parties are able to do the loyalty test thing on the basis of whether you kiss the ring to their status quo and not based on whether you are actually, by the letter of the law, according to the Constitution, well within your rights to communicate with who you will communicate with, to travel to where you will travel with, uh, whom you will travel, you know, freedom of association, freedom of speech. If the Democrats are going to try and drive from office anybody who doesn't pass that loyalty test, including in uh, you know states like Alaska, that is very concerning. And I will point out Edmund Burke and real conservatives, <clears throat> not just let's have a slower uh, confirmation of the same end goal, the same foregone conclusion, but real conservatives, dyed in the wool conservatives, will at a certain point, if this is not checked, if it's not rolled back, if, it, if the establishment types don't stop it, don't knock it off, the conservatives, the real conservatives, will at some point say, enough is enough. And it won't be revolution, it will be a declaration of independence. Because our rights are being trampled on. And let me just read this constitution that is, <laughs> it is what our elected officials take an oath, you know, so much for uh, being against oath keepers. They all have to take oaths. And what what's the objection? Do they object to keeping the oaths that they take? What What's the objection? Uh, let's read just a little bit from our constitution and actually our Declaration of Independence as well. By the way, it's not called the Declaration of Revolution. But from the top here, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Section 1, Article 1. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. Full stop. We don't even have to get out of Section 1 and the preamble before we see separation of powers. We see an assertion of rights. The assertion of rights is not at all contrary to biblical philosophy, biblical theology, a biblical conception of the self and its relationship to our neighbors, to our community, to our city, to our state, to our nation. 
a conception of rights is, as I will explain here uh, in a minute, it is central to the biblical idea of justice. Justice is not just a list of wrongs that you don't do. Justice is also a question of duties and rights, positive in nature, which ought to be protected and secured by any good government. See also Romans 13. To reward those who do good. That's where your rights are found in the Bible. Those who do good. What is good? Well, if you don't know that, if you deny that there is any such thing as good, it's only a matter of time before you will deny that anyone has any rights whatsoever. But if you affirm that there are goods to do and that those goods should be rewarded, at bare minimum, they should be left alone and not molested, not violated, not obstructed. If you assert that, then that is rights. Those are the rights of man to do good before God. But we see also here, order, union, justice, tranquility, welfare, blessings, liberty, posterity, constitution, United States, and America, all capitalized. Oh, also people. We, the people. The people is capitalized. Order is capitalized. Union is capitalized. Justice is capitalized. Tranquility is capitalized. Welfare is capitalized. Blessings is capitalized. Liberty, posterity, Constitution, United States, and America are all capitalized because the emphasis is important. Not all of these words have the same emphasis. But consider, if you will, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. Just that. It is not just some product of evolution. It was not a random decision. It was not the roll of a dice or the flip of a coin that decided that legislative power would be granted, vested in a Congress of the United States. What is a Congress? A Congress is very closely related to a congregation. A congregation is what? In the form of church polity, it's the assembling together of the saints. It's the assembly of God's people together to sing praises, to make disciples, to fellowship, to encourage, to exhort, to rebuke sometimes, to help, to lift up, to edify one another to God's glory. That is what a congregation is in a Christian sense. A Congress of the United States is similar, but it's supposed to be, in our form of government, representative of the people who are capital P, people who make up the United States. You don't have the United States without the people. And so you have a Congress because it's not feasible to have 300 million folks directly voting at all ages, in all states of mind. Not everyone has a sound mind. Not everyone has the capability to get together. And also, where would you put everybody? You can't have 300 million people gathering together, stopping everything. The government is supposed to be a means to the end, not the end unto itself. So you have representatives who are supposed to be elected. That's the letter of the law. They are supposed to represent. In fact, it says it right here in section one, article one, that the Congress of the United States, which has the legislative power, will consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. 
representatives. Let me say that again, representatives. These words need to retain something of their original meaning for us to understand the original purpose for calling what we have what we do. The Senate was always going to be more aristocratic. If you don't like that the Senate has these people in there who are wealthy and well-connected and they've just maybe had a silver spoon in their mouths for a long, long time, you think they're out of touch, et cetera, et cetera. That was not for no reason. That that was not accidental. That actually was, you know, with full knowledge embarked on actually intentionally on purpose. That's not a bug. That's a feature that the Senate would be more aristocratic. If they seem like they're aristocrats, if they don't seem like common people, well, that's because they're not. And they never were intended to be. The Senate is supposed to be the more aristocratic folk who are used to overseeing and managing and maintaining large holdings, maybe even multi-generationally. That gives them maybe a longer view to the ramifications and consequences of certain decisions. That's supposed to have a stabilizing effect, but it's not supposed to have the effect of a pack of wolves that have a a cave. It's not supposed to have the effect of a den of thieves. It's supposed to have a stabilizing effect if the men who have large holdings, maybe even multi-generationally, who come from good schools, who have a lot of free time on their hands to read, reflect, ponder, meditate, consider, make up your Senate. But if unscrupulous men make up your Senate, watch out. They will stabilize evil. (laughs) just as surely as they could have stabilized what is good. The House of Representatives, though. The House of Representatives is not supposed to be an aristocratic chamber of Congress. It is supposed to be more of the common man. And as such, it's typically rowdier. For one, it's bigger, but it's typically rowdier, more rancorous, if you will, because these are folks who come up from potentially any background whatsoever. They are common men, and they should be representative of the best of the common men. But essentially what you have is the aristocrats in one chamber, and you have the common people in the other chamber, and they get together, and they each do their deliberating. And if they all agree, well, then that's what the law is going to be. To where it's not the aristocrats just ramming through whatever it is that they want, whatever they think is best, whatever secures their interests or expands their holdings, their wealth, their power. That gets us right back to the state of affairs politically right before the war for independence, which I think is a better, it's a better name for it. It's a better thing to call it. It was the Declaration of Independence. It was not the Declaration of of Revolution. We can call it the Revolutionary War just to be understood what we're talking about, but Burke would not agree. He would not call it the American Revolution because he was philosophically opposed to revolution. Revolution has to do with rebellion and anarchy. Independence, on the other hand, is biblical. That's a godly virtue, to be independent, to be self-controlled, managing your own affairs, striving to live a quiet life, working with your hands, minding your own business. And a good government makes that possible and protects that. This is something of what is alluded to in ensuring domestic tranquility That's also something of what is alluded to in providing for the common defense, promoting the general welfare, securing the blessings of liberty. What is that liberty? It's not liberty just to do whatever you want in your bedroom. This is liberty to do what you ought to 
with regards to the management of your affairs, who you associate with, what positions you take and argue and hold, what you believe. But all legislative powers being delegated to two, two chambers of Congress, the House and the Senate, this was very intentional as well. So that there would be checks and balances even within the legislative branch. You don't just pick one person to represent all of the United States of America. You don't just pick two or three people to represent all of the United States of America. Each one of the states who are united to make America, you have representatives from each state and you have some representatives who are aristocratic and you have some representatives who are representing the common people from each state. And that checks and balances within just the legislative branch is very important to the health and safety and virtue of your legislative process. And this applies at the national level. It also applies in an individual state like Alaska, for instance. I would say if you have a representative who has served multiple terms and who won by 24 points over his challenger from the opposite party, well then, he represents the people to a much greater degree, to a much greater extent, than does uh, anyone else who was available or running. And you can't just throw it out because you don't like what he has to say. No, that's not representative. Representative doesn't mean that everybody who's in there needs to think exactly what you do, agree with you entirely, have all your same positions and beliefs, and vote exactly how you would vote. If, if that's what you want, well, then you need to run and make your case and argue it. But representative here means that they are standing in your place, speaking for you. And think here of a father, for instance. I'm, I'm a father. I'm a husband. If there's a, a problem with one of my sons or my daughter or my wife even, and somebody has an argument to make, they have a complaint to make, well, then I might go talk with them or they might come talk with me and I represent my wife and my children. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all my positions, all my statements, my wife and my children are going to entirely agree with or that's what they would have said to so also with our representatives in Congress or any other branch of government. But consider this as well. The preamble to the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now let's stop. Don't go any farther than that. Stop right there. Before there is unity, there is also separation. And that separation is every bit as intentional as the unity. It is the other side of the coin. That separation is caused. This is not an uncaused separation. It's not a random separation. This is not chaos. This is an attempt at restoring order, in fact. And they didn't have to give the reasons necessarily. They could have just done what they did. But they give the reasons because they have a decent respect for the opinions of mankind, as they put it. In fact, that respect requires that they would, as they say, declare. That's why it's the Declaration of Independence. 
They're not just saying it, they're declaring it, which carries with it a gravity and a formality like, hey, we really thought about this. Final answer. Yes. All in. Full send. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America does not mean here that every single man, woman, and child agreed with the separation. It means that the Congress, the assembled congregation of men representing those 13 colonies, agreed. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that it's null and void. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. How would it be if we thought that way about, let's say, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, God bringing them into the promised land, speaking to Moses, giving Moses instructions for the people, what to tell them, what they needed to do and not do, where to lead them, how to lead them. At a certain point when they'd send 12 spies into Canaan and 10 come back saying, we can't, there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Only two say, yes, we can. And the assembly of Israel, the congregation of Israel, if you will, consider putting to death those two spies because they don't want to hear it. And so what we have here is a unanimous declaration because it's an agreement among those who are the representatives. When the whole congregation of Israel decides to be faithless, to disbelieve that God can give this land to them, when they grumble against God and plot openly going back to Egypt because it was better for them in Egypt than being out here and dying, trying to take Canaan from giants, well then, okay, the people have spoken. And now comes the judgment, 40 years of wandering in the desert until that whole generation dies. And that might be our condition as well in the United States of America. In fact, I suspect that that will be a part of the solution. We should not assume that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse every generation because some generations are awful, corrupt, wicked, ungodly. And it's the exception rather than the rule that they honor God, that they love God, that they seek to obey God, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Other generations, it's more the exception than the rule that there are very wicked men who have to be dealt with. See also Romans 13. That sword that the governing authority does not bear for nothing is to punish those who do evil, to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. And so there may be a future generation. I pray that there is a future generation which is not corrupt, self-seeking, more like the book of Judges. I pray that there's a future generation that can say, if not from heart, from memory, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, then they would put it in different words, but it would mean the same thing. Now, why do I say that rights are biblical besides just a indirect argument, solving for X from Romans 13? Well, consider with me again, like I talked about here a few episodes ago, and if you missed it, you can definitely go back. It was the holidays after all, so I forgive you. But consider the first nine verses of Proverbs 31. Don't jump into the excellent wife and the woman who fears the Lord this time. That gets enough attention. But key in on verses one through nine. 
Lemuel's mother asks him three times in a row, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then tells him, don't give your strength to women. Also, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, to drink wine and strong drink, lest they forget justice. The king can forget justice because he's too deep in the drink and he's carousing. He's busy partying. The king can forget justice because he's indulging himself at the expense of the people he's supposed to be judging and ruling over and rewarding when they do good and punishing when they do evil. The king can forget justice and does if he's giving his strength to women, if he is drinking his stress and his concerns away, hiding from his responsibilities in intoxication. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Lemuel's mother asked him. But she doesn't just say, don't give your strength to women. By the way, this does not mean don't get married, don't love your wife, don't enjoy your wife. By all means, by all means, because verse 10 and on through the very last bit of Proverbs 31 and Proverbs as a book entirely champions an excellent wife, gives you lots of reasons why you would want an excellent wife like is being described here. But don't give your strength to women. For one, it says plural, women plural, multiple. Also, give your strength to is talking about a, a question of submission, subjection, making yourself a slave in some sense. You know, Think here of a womanizer. A womanizer is not somebody who loves women so much. A womanizer is somebody who's a slave to his interest in women. Plural. Don't give your strength to women. Your way to those who destroy kings, she says. Also, she says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. And this could be, to some extent, a metaphor. A metaphor for women. Because women are intoxicating. Beautiful women elsewhere in Proverbs are described as being intoxicating. And if they are not women who fear the Lord, well then, they are taking you to your grave. It's like deer in the rut. A big, healthy buck surrounded in a meadow by does is the dumbest creature on God's green earth when he is in the rut. He is the dumbest, least concerned with self-preservation creature on God's green earth. I speak from experience. <laughs> I have taken several shots. It turned out my scope was loose. The mount seemed like it was tight until I went to shoot it, but it was cockeyed and was rattling. So I was taking shot after shot at this buck during the rut, and he did not move. He didn't flinch. He just kept on standing there, more interested in those does. Look here. At verse 8, this is a better option. This is the or else. Verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Rights, rights. Not once, but twice. Two verses in a row. The rights of all who are destitute, the rights of the poor and needy. And this is where... 
It makes all the difference in the world, whether you're aristocrats, whether you're senators, care a lick about whether God himself will judge their government in the end. Typically, those who are aristocratic, they have means, they have wealth, they have no shortage of people who want to do them favors and ingratiate themselves in exchange for the scraps from their tables or else to be on the payroll. They have private security. This is why they don't care if they pass gun control to take guns away from you, to make it harder for you to get a firearm, for instance, or bullets for the same or accessories for the same. They don't care unless they fear God. They don't care because they're going to have an exemption. They're going to have law enforcement, which enforces the laws if they are under attack, which is uneven weights and measures. It's corrupt. It's not actually at all a difficult thing to figure out. It's corrupt. We know all that we need to know about what God thinks of it just by the fact that it's unequal weights and measures, which God says he detests and hates. And if they cared, if they feared God, well, then they wouldn't. But they don't, so they do. And so verse 8 and 9, speaking of rights, the one who has to talk about rights is the one who has an inability in and of themselves, by themselves, to pay off, bribe, threaten effectively those who would harm them. The mute, the poor, the needy, the destitute, they're the ones who need good government the most, whether they're doing what's good or they're doing what's evil. Now, if we are a corrupt society and our aristocrats have disdain for the common man, well, then they think that the government's primary function, maybe even its sole function, is to punish the common people if they step out of line, if they go to a Stop the Steal rally, if they join the Oath Keepers, if they are guilty of wrong think on Twitter. A corrupt government increasingly sees its role as nothing more than to punish the common people when they step out of line, when they forget their place. And then the laws become increasingly disconnected from any objective standard of right and wrong. They become entirely arbitrary because the unifying principle is whatever keeps the aristocrats wealthy and safe or makes them feel wealthy and safe, whatever pleasures them. But a good government puts its attention into the rights of the destitute, the mute, the poor, the needy, the rights. Our government tries to bribe all of the above and distract all of us by only talking about rights when it comes to abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, and increasingly pedophilia. But you have no right to wrongs. You have the right to do what is good, and the government should punish you if you do what is evil. It at least shouldn't reward you. At a bare minimum, it shouldn't reward you. And this is where the libertarian would say, yeah, agreed. But moving on, speaking of rewards and punishments, the curious case of Ray Epps, Daniel Chatton, over the Daily Wire, December 30th, reported, Ray Epps told Nephew he orchestrated January 6th. Now, let me tell you this. It certainly seems as though this Ray Epps character, and this is not me saying this alone. Lots of people are saying this, but I remember thinking it from the beginning. When I saw in early 2021 the footage of 
Ray Epps in Washington, D.C. on January 6th at various places in the crowd saying what he was saying. I thought to myself, that guy, that guy looks like a Fed. You know, some buddies of mine and I, we went out shooting here a couple of years ago, went out in the wilderness and did some tactical training. And on our way out early, early in the morning, we stopped in at a King Supers and picked up some donuts, picked up some snacks and some drinks and whatnot. As we're going through the store, we're wearing, you know, not all of our guns and such, but we're wearing, you know, the stuff that we're going to be doing our tactical training in for the day. And it's kind of a hodgepodge of various things. And as we're walking through the store, it had just opened. Like it was that early in the morning that King Supers had just opened. And so you've got, you know, some various store employees who are cleaning and setting up and starting work for the day. And one of them said to my buddy, he's like, uh, what are you guys doing? Where, where, where are you guys headed? <laughs> I, guess what, I think that was what the question was. And my buddy says, oh, oh we're just going to go out uh, and do some shooting today, do some training. And this guy's like, uh, you guys feds? <laughs> and my buddy's like, no, no, we're not. We're not feds. He's like, you guys look like feds. You're giving off a like real strong federal agents vibe right now, which is funny. So, but that is to say, like sometimes people can seem like federal agents and not be federal agents. That being my point. Now, this guy in particular, actually funny. Uh, the the guy who was a store employee there, I think he was a retired cop. Actually, he had been in law enforcement, but at a local level. And so he, you know, he's not just some random dude. He's uh, somebody who's got probably some familiarity working with the feds, depending on the case. But this Ray Epps guy, it's very, very curious why he's not faced repercussions, even though he's on video. He's a former Oath Keeper as well, but he's on video trying to incite this riot. Now, riddle me this. How is it that this guy is on video trying to incite a riot and he's getting a pass. Donald Trump on video. You can listen to his entire speech, everything that he was saying, no matter how hard they look, they can't find him inciting violence or destruction of property. In fact, he explicitly, Donald Trump explicitly said peacefully, they just wanted to make their voices heard. And that is not against the law. Now, it might be scary if, in fact, our government is comprised of lawbreakers, oathbreakers, but it's not against the law for them to be afraid. In fact, they should be afraid. If they are oathbreakers, if they are themselves lawbreakers and corrupt and unscrupulous, they should be afraid. Not because I threaten them, but because there's a God in heaven. They should fear God. And if they don't, well, then that tells me most of what I need to know as far as what they are capable of, if it enters their imagination and if it seems good to them at the time. But it's curious, how is it possible that this Ray Epps guy, he is on video, but not in trouble, really? Lots of people like me are like, no, he should be in trouble. And he looks like a Fed, actually. He really looks like a Fed. He looks like a plant. He looks like a wolf in sheepdog's clothing trying to drum up the crowd to give the Democrats and the deep state and the establishment types of both parties in Washington, D.C. their Reichstag moment. That's what he looks like. How is it that he's not in trouble, though, if 
<laughs> it's, it's kind of a pick one, right? Either A, he really is one of these people that those media types and the Democrats are trying to paint all Trump supporters, all Trump voters as he really is, in which case, why aren't you guys going after him? Have him. Get him. We don't identify with that. No. Get him. Oh, you don't want to? Why don't you want to? Hmm. Is it possibly because he was a plant? Is it possibly because he was on your payroll? Is it possibly because he was controlled opposition? He was a puppet, an actor, an agent? When you have gone after that guy, and we know the full story with uh, Ray Epps business, then maybe let's talk about deep diving into David Eastman, making him come downtown in Anchorage to the Northern Justice Project office for a deposition with a poster of Che Guevara literally, literally on the wall. He shouldn't be allowed to represent his district because he joined the Oath Keepers 13 years ago and went to the Capitol on January 6th to listen to the President of the United States give a speech. But literal communists in Alaska, they want to literally overthrow our government and our constitution, all of it, and institute communism. Literal communists in Alaska, they have standing, they have more standing than he does. And that's the other thing with this story is the judge won't allow Eastman and his lawyers to do some exploration and make this even, make it double-sided. The person who is filing a private lawsuit as a private citizen, that's how they're being very clever here. They're manipulating the fine-tuned letter of the law here, but it's lawfare. It's corrupt. The judge is saying, yeah, fine. No, no, you don't get to look at them. You have to bear the burden of proof entirely on your own to prove that you are not a disloyal citizen. It's a show trial. This is communism. It is Soviet politicking. It's propaganda. It's corrupt. Speaking of the Soviets and Russia and communism and what's right next door to Alaska besides Canada, Russia. Russia released a video showing Putin as Santa saving a boy being raised as a girl by two fathers. There's some propaganda going on, a little bit of propaganda war. I watched the two and a half minute long video. It is Putin. It looks like it is Putin in a Santa suit. And the movie starts with, the little video starts with this boy dressed up as a girl wearing pink and glitter in his hair, surrounded by all these girly things. And then there's a picture on the mantle of his two dads and all these books. You know, the, the camera is panning past all these books that are promoting gender theory and LGBTQ plus blah, blah, blah. And then Santa Claus brings him boy stuff. And I'll, oh, also, by the way, a crucifix on the wall. And then when the camera pans again to that picture on the mantle, it's a mom and a dad. So it's, it's a husband and wife, a man and a woman, not two gay men. And here's the thing. We got we to gotta give it to Putin and the Russians right now. Whether it's propaganda or it isn't, it's sure as hell propaganda over here <laughs> with regards to the promotion of homosexuality. It's certainly propaganda over here. And they're also doing the propaganda thing. They're trying to propagate their ideas. Who knows? Who knows what the story is here. All I know is I am very grieved and there's a God in heaven who will judge righteously. 
He's slow to anger. That doesn't mean that either A, he doesn't exist, or two, he doesn't care. <laughs> One B, he exists and he cares, and he's patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's giving you time to repent. That's God's grace. That's the common grace that you have, is time to repent and turn from your sins. Ask forgiveness in Christ. Hacked Materials, reporting by Ryan Saavedra from New Year's Eve at the Daily Wire. Hacked Materials show Russia's propaganda agreement with China. So basically, China and Russia are working together, coordinating their messaging on the global stage, trying to position themselves to be uh, the controllers of the narrative, countering the messaging of the Western world. This is why it's so important that we watch out for what it is that we're listening to, what it is that we're reading. Is it true? How do you know? Is this supposed to be giving you a certain impression? Not so much really informing you. Also, what does God's word say? For one, might I just recommend, don't only read the news. Definitely don't only watch the news. They manipulate you. It is both an art and a science how they manipulate you and your emotions and your impressions. And they lead you around by the nose with your emotions and your impressions. Read books. Read your Bible, absolutely, to know right from wrong, truth from falsehood. That's how you actually get liberty in a holistic way. But read books so that you know the larger narrative, the bigger story. You might know just enough to be dangerous, and you might be getting played because all sides, in a godless way, are propagating their ideas in dishonest ways. We need to know what's true and what is good and what is right. Speaking of... And actually, to give um, some credit to the observation that Putin and Russia are making in a subtle way, not so subtle way, Harris Rigby over at Not The Bee, also New Year's Eve, the Scottish police are rebranding pedophiles as minor attracted persons, and if we could just stop trying to normalize pedos, that would be great. That, that would be great. The police in Scotland are normalizing pedophilia. The EU is involved. This is gross. It's corrupt. This is a revolution. This is a revolution. This is actually the corrupt usurpation of appropriate authority. That this would happen and it would be called your government. What is not revolution is to say, I have to separate myself from that. Unity is great. But separation also is absolutely necessary when it's that or corruption and sin, and you are now a party to sin and corruption. Holiness, actually. Holiness for us, personal holiness before God, has everything to do with being set apart, drawing distinction. First and foremost, set apart from sin, but also bad company corrupts good morals. And so, again, I would point out our founding documents here in the United States of America speak to Truths that were regarded as self-evident and are no longer by the powers that be who actually run our country and the West, unfortunately. I think there are some exceptions here and there. Absolutely. Don't go thinking that everybody's in on this. No, no, no. There are characters like this uh, Rep Eastman from Alaska who seem like they are getting um, persecuted long and short of it. They're there trying to do the right thing. And socialists, 
globalists, godless men who don't care what party they play. I mean, they could play the Socialist Party. They could play the Libertarian Party. They can play the Republican Party. They can play the Democratic Party. It really, It's like playing factions in Twilight Imperium. Hey, where do I think I can leverage the most advantage in my play style to win? At the end of the day, I just want to win. That's all I care about. You know, all of this, all of this here, it is enough to make one lament, to make one sad. But don't be sad and don't lose heart and don't grieve only as those who don't know God, who have no hope. It is okay to grieve, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Consider with me, if you will, and we'll spend the remainder of our time here in Lamentations 3. Consider Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from Yahweh. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There yet may be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to Yahweh. 
Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause. O Lord, you have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me. O Yahweh, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Yahweh, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Yahweh. Amen. 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 A couple of thoughts, and then I've got to run. A few, and then I go. One, this is how you cultivate the fear of the Lord. This is why it is proper for us to fear God. This is also why grace is not cheap, and we should not regard it as cheap. Grace is extraordinarily costly and precious. This is the or else, when we do not avail ourselves of God's grace. This is what it means that the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous go into it and are safe. That God would hear you when you call and forgive your sins, that is a great, great gift. If you scoff at it, well then, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. Justice is coming. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. These two things are not at odds. The very fact of the incarnation of God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ is to say that justice had to be served. And if the blood of the Lamb is over our door, the door of our heart, then the angel of death passes over because atonement has already been made. The the price has already been paid. The payment has already been given. We are ransomed. We are set free like slaves in hard bondage for generations, for centuries, we are set free. Now, notice here as well, the context of Lamentations, typically thought to be authored by the prophet Jeremiah. The context here is grief over the loss of the kingdom, humanly speaking, but given by God as a gift from God. The fact that they had a kingdom The fact that they had a land, that was a gift from God, which they did not steward in a faithful way, in an obedient way, and thus 
God gave them over to their enemies. And if he had not given them over to their enemies, well, then they would not have lost their kingdom. And so we see here that when judgment comes, even in the form of our human enemies, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So the gods of the nations, if we want to call them idols in a poetic sense or in a literal sense, you say, oh, there are no gods. These gods are no gods. And I take that literally. Go redhead. I think they are gods, lowercase g. And that as such, we should recognize that they have authority, just like the book of Job talks about Satan, the accuser of the brethren, coming to God and asking, challenging after why Job praises God. Only because he's blessed, because you give him so many blessings and so much protection, is that all? If you take away those things, he'll curse you. He won't continue praising you. It's just like that. If we are given over into the hands of our enemies, it's not without God's permission. God gives permission, lets it happen. And some take that to mean that God is not just. Oh, who are you? Who are you? It's right here. It's right here in Lamentations 3. Who are you as a man to question God, to talk back to God in a defiant way? Who are you to find fault with God? If you say, I didn't do anything wrong, like Job, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. I don't know why this is happening. So also there, because this might be to try you, to test you. So don't despair. You might lament, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We see that right here in Lamentations 3. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. And I love, I love when this is the pattern and it fits life in certain circumstances, that you start out saying the awful, ugly truth in detail, all of it. It's bad. This is bad. (sighs) Who's the bear lying in wait for me? Who's the lion in hiding? Who's tearing me to pieces? Whose bow is set for me to target? For me to be target practice, for me to be, (laughs) even the details here, even the specifics. He drove into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. Wow. Ouch. That is to say, you're going to bleed to death very quickly. Lots of blood in the kidneys. You're going to bleed out quickly. But then we see that this isn't just physical. This is also reputational I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. This is to say, an example is being made, if this is judgment, for sin. Even if it's you being tried, that might be part of the trial. If you're innocent and you are being tried, tested, facing trials of many kinds, well then, you will be mocked. People will find enjoyment in your misery and laugh. And that will make it all the more bitter because rather than helping you, rather than having compassion on you, they will be entertained and amused and get pleasure from your pain, from your destruction, from your humiliation. And so I look at this, I look at the first part of Lamentations and it, it is a lament. It is, boy, howdy, I'll tell you what, things are bad, not just for me, not just physically, Also, emotionally, mentally, also too, part of my grief is that all the daughters of my city are being ruined. 
And what is this speaking to? This is speaking to your city being overtaken by an enemy army that is savage and brutal and will now proceed to rape and pillage everything you hold dear, including the beautiful women. Tears. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until Yahweh from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I am lost. You know what? They are. And if that's the end of the story, well, boy, howdy, is that depressing. That is sad. Man, life. What are you doing, Garrett? Why are you telling me all this? I don't want to hear this. This is a sad story. Find a happy story from the Bible? Can't you be more like Veggie Tales? No, I'm sorry. These are your veggies, but not like that. Because it gets better, right? It gets better. It gets better. But this I call to mind, verse 21. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. His mercies are new every morning. That's great. This is the beginning of a new week, a new month, a new year. Think of it as a morning, the new morning. His mercies are new and great is his faithfulness. Look to God. Tell the righteous it will go well with them. Like Isaiah 3.10 says, they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. This is also in the context of Israel and Judah being given over to their enemies because there may be 10 spies who come back from the land and say, nope, can't do it. Let's go back to Egypt. It was better there and there were no giants. Sure. And God will judge Sodom and get the righteous out. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. That's where our hope is. And yes, we should call for repentance because we want as many as will to be included in the righteous. Call for repentance. That is what the righteous do. After all, they call for repentance and they repent. That's why they're the righteous. But like I said, I got to run. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.